I want to invite you to take your Bible and go to Romans chapter 8 as we wrap up our series on rhythms this morning. Say amen if you're excited to, to be done with this series. It's a trick question. If you say amen, it may hurt my feelings. I really, I don't know about you, but for me, I mean, and I'm the one preaching the messages, so I'm not sure where you stand, but I know for me, this has been an incredibly beneficial time in the Word of the Lord, and, uh, and I'm just very appreciative of the Holy Spirit for where He has led us, and um, I wish I could tell you what's next. I don't know. I don't know. So uh, I don't know where the Lord's going to take us next. So, but I know where he's taking us today. And uh, if you've got your Bible to Romans chapter 8, say amen. amen. All right, good deal. I, uh, I don't know that there is a more, I want to say the word's important. And I don't know if important is the right word. I don't know if there's a more popular chapter in all of Scripture than Romans chapter 8. And it's beautiful, right, Holly? Romans chapter 8 starts with, therefore, there is no condemnation in, in, to those who belong to Christ Jesus. I'm not starting yet, but you can believe it up there. It's good. <laughs> and then it ends with no separation, right? Paul goes on and he says, neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, right, nor sickness nor health, nothing. And all creation can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. This is a beautiful, it's a beautiful exposition uh, talking literally about the victory, the overwhelming victory that belongs to us because of the finished work of Jesus, which was accomplished on the cross. It's beautiful. In fact, not only is Romans 8 probably the most popular and possibly even the most important chapter in all of Scripture. But the book of Romans itself, and many people don't realize this, uh, is the single most influential document in all of Western culture and society. Not the Declaration of Independence, not the Magna Carta, not anything written by Plato or Socrates, but the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Paul, you can read this in Romans 15, Paul is writing a letter. Uh, many people don't realize this, uh, but every single book in your Bible, every single, specifically every single letter that was written in your New Testament was written for a reason and for a purpose. And so sometimes to understand what is being said in the letter, you need to understand why the author wrote the letter. There was a reason, there was a purpose, there was a, a motive, if you will, behind uh, the writing. And interestingly enough, Romans was written by Paul to the church at Rome because he was a missionary trying to raise support from the church at Rome to help him get to Rome as a missionary. Paul's greatest goal in life, at least at this point in his life, was to stand before Caesar and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he had made a connection to the church at Rome. He had never been there. He hadn't led any of them to Christ. But he writes this most influential document laying out uh, these different uh, systems of theology and thought as as he shares the gospel of Jesus. In fact, Romans is often called the gospel of Paul. We have the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Luke, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of John. And then Romans is often nicknamed the gospel of Paul as Paul lays everything on the table, essentially. And he says, this is what I believe. This is what I'm about. Hey, give me some money so I can come see you guys. That's why he wrote Romans. It's kind of interesting, right? And so here in Romans chapter 8, Paul says some of my favorite words. And I almost decided to read the entire chapter this morning, but I want to leave you something to do for yourself later today. I do want to read the first nine verses, though. 
Paul says this. He says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Come on. Can we get a good amen? amen. Come on. Listen, if you have... If you have walked in condemnation this week, if you have felt that sting of guilt, you just need to recognize right here and now, that was not the Lord. That was not, that was not the voice of your Savior. That was not the Holy Spirit revealing that to you. That was something else. That was someone else. Paul says there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And he says because you belong to Him, the power, everybody say that word, power. The power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. In verse 5 he says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things but those who were controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under control of their sinful nature can never please God. Let me just, let me, I, I, I'm not breaking this entire passage down, but let me just say this in short. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work, no matter how good you attempt to live, you will never measure up to God's standard of holiness and God's standard of righteousness. So what God did instead is he sent his son in the form of a human being to live a sinless and perfect life, born of a virgin. So therefore, he did not inherit the, the sin that has been passed down through the seed of Adam. And that man was Jesus, and Jesus was fully God and fully human all at the same time. He was turned over into the hands of sinners. He was crucified, but the story did not end there. On the third day after his crucifixion, he rose again, conquering hell, death, and the grave, securing eternal victory. Come on, somebody. Paul says in verse 9, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You were controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. We've talked about rhythms for the last six messages. Prayer, community, stewardship, worship, rest, serving. Today, I want us to dive into the idea of what it looks like to live a life that is in perfect rhythm the Holy Spirit. Another way to say this would be saying, what does it look like to live a Spirit-led life? Now, listen, this could be another sermon series all by itself. We could spend the rest of 2023 talking about what it looks like to live a life led by the Spirit. But today I hope that we will leave this place understanding who we are in Christ what that means for us and what it looks like to live a spirit-led life. Not just on Sunday mornings in church when there's music playing and there's preaching and there's people hugging necks and praying for one another, but on Wednesday afternoon when traffic is backed up, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I haven't got enough sleep, the baby's crying in the back seat. Can I get a witness in the house today? Amen. So Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you so much for the salvation that's been given to us 
by the finished work of Christ. And I pray that over the next few moments that you will help me to do exactly what you've equipped and called me to do, and that is to deliver your word with authority, but also with anointing that can only come from the power of your spirit. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. One more time, can we show our love to the Lord and thankfulness to him? I'm going to jump right into it this morning. If you can get me a timer on the screen, I would most appreciate it. So that way I don't keep you, you know, past 3 3 a.m. tomorrow. No, that's not going to happen. I like to joke and say this will be a short message, but everybody knows what that means. What does it mean? It means nothing. It means nothing, (laughs) right? So, but I am going to jump right into it. So we're talking about living in rhythm with the Holy Spirit. I got three points and about 15 sub points. So here you go. Number one, how do we live in rhythm with the Holy Spirit. And this number one, this is so important. And I honestly think that this is more than likely the number one culprit of of born-again believers not living the life that the Lord has called them, equipped them, and enabled them to live because they do not walk in their God-given identity in Christ. So number one, how do you live in rhythm with the Holy Spirit? Number one, you know your identity in Christ. And and this is incredibly elementary. This is incredibly simple. Yet, how many of you also understand it is the fundamentals that keep us from being great, right? It is the fundamentals, or rather, it is the denial of the fundamentals that keep us from walking and living in all that God has for us. I opened the chapter here, or Paul opens the chapter here explaining how there is no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. Now, let me just ask you this, and don't raise your hand uh, unless you just want to, but how many of you this week did something, said something, thought something, and you thought to yourself, man, I'm, I'm no good, I'm bad, I'm awful, I am a bad person, I don't like myself? Come on, like, please don't tell me I'm the only one that has those moments, Right? But, but do you know what the gospel says? The gospel says that even though you may feel condemned, even though you may feel guilt, that you have been made new again in Christ. I love this song. I listen to Air One Radio sometimes, and I love this song. And I'm going to mess it up now that I've decided to quote it. But it says, you know, I am not the sum of my past mistakes, Right? I, I, am not, I am not the product of my problems. Somebody needs to hear that and be free today. I am not the product of my problems. I am not the product of my pain. I am not the product of my past. I am the product of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says this means, talking about what Jesus has done, that anyone... Now, let me ask you this. Dylan... In the Bible, when you read the, the word anyone, who are we talking about here? Anyone. We talking about let, let me let me break this down into Tennessee dialect for us. We're talking about everybody. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but when I read the word anyone in the Bible, I often think, well, this is for everybody but me. Come on, Sherry knows what I'm talking about. I read, there, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Everybody but me. But can I just, can I just clear the air this morning and tell you, you, you everybody. You are anyone. You, you, you are not, you are not ex- an exclusion. You are not an exception to what the Word of God says about somebody who has given their life to Jesus and, and I just need you to hear this today. Who you were does not define you. Now, what do I mean by who you were? Whoever you were before this moment right now does not define who you are. Because in Jesus, you have the opportunity to go to him right now. Even while I am preaching this message, just don't be too loud about it, okay? You have the opportunity and the ability to go to him right now in this moment before there's an altar call, before Don comes back to the keyboard, before second service begins. You have the opportunity to say, Father, I have sinned. I have messed up. Can you cleanse me? Can you make me new? Can you help me? I don't want to do those things, Father. I want to do what you've called me to do. 
do. I want to be the man or I want to be the woman that you've called me to be. Forgive me, cleanse me, make me new. And the gospel essentially says this, that when, G- when God the Father looks at you, he sees not the problems of your past, right? He sees the perfection of his son. Come on, anybody who is in Christ has been made new again. And I love this book for so many reasons. And one of the reasons why I love this book is because the Word of God does not pull punches when it comes to giving us real-life examples of real men and women who did real stuff, sometimes good, let's be real, most of the time bad though, right? And God still, I mean, God God looks at a man like Gideon. Anybody know the story of Gideon and Judges? God looks at a man like, you know what Gideon was doing, by the way? Gideon was hiding from a people called the Midianites in, in a pit, right? Where they would take grapes and, and they would press them and they would turn the grapes into juice so that they can make wine from them. Gideon was threshing wheat. In a wine press. And I just, I, I, we may not know much about that agricultural society, but let me, just, let me just make it really clear to you. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You press grapes in a wine press, right? And the reason why Gideon was doing that is he was hiding from these people called the Midianites who had invaded the land of Israel. They were stealing their crops. They were, they were at war with them. And so he was hiding from them. And the Bible tells us in the book of Judges that the angel of the Lord, which, by the way, is what we in the theology world would call a theophany, which is understood, and this is, this, maybe, maybe this will blow your mind, which is understood, it's not an angel, it's not, it's not uh, Gabriel or Michael, but when you read the phrase in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord appeared, what we believe is that is actually the pre-incarnate Jesus appearing to people in the Old Testament. A lot of people think that Jesus was somehow created and born uh, in the beginning of the Gospels, but he was there at the very beginning. Before the beginning was the beginning, right? The Word was God. The Word was with God. Amen? And so when you read that phrase, the angel of the Lord, you can, you really, what you should think is that this is Jesus before we or anybody knew him as Jesus. And so the Bible tells us in the book of Judges that the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon in the middle of his hiding, in the middle of his cowardice, in the middle of his reclusivity, right? I don't know if that's the word, but it is today. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and he looked at him, and he said, Hello, mighty man of God. I like how they, I, I don't know which translation it is, but, but one of them says, Hello, mighty man of valor. The New Living Translation says, hello, mighty hero. He calls him mighty hero. Now listen, I've watched Star Wars. I've watched Lord of the Rings. I've watched all the Marvel Avenger movies. Well, most of them, not all of them. I've watched a lot of them. And I've just, I would just like to say, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty good judge of what a hero looks like. <laughs> and Gideon ain't it, Right? You know, he, he's, not, he's not the hero we're looking for, right? He is not the guy that when you have a problem or when you have a need or when you need somebody to come f- through for you, do you look for the man who is hiding from the enemy or do you look for the man who is out confronting the enemy? I, I don't know about you, but I'm going to look for the person who has some courage about them, right? But God does not call things like they are. He calls them like they will be. Once his hand is involved. And so, so we, we look at somebody like Gideon who is hiding in a wine press. But God refers to him and he says mighty hero, mighty man of valor, mighty man of courage. And then if you know the rest of the story, he winds up using Gideon to not hide from the Midianites. But to defeat and drive out the Midianites from their lands. Jesus You can go read this in the Gospels. Calls a man named Simon to come follow him. Now most of us don't know him as Simon. That's not what we call him. We call him by another name. We call him by the name Peter. But Jesus doesn't call him like he is. He calls him like he's making him to be. You see, Simon... If you go read the Gospels, you'll, you'll pick this up, was impetuous, 
he was, here's a real scientific term for you, he was wishy-washy, right? You know what I'm saying. Uh, he was highly emotional, easily irritated, quick to lose his temper. It sounds like I'm just talking about myself sometimes here. But like, Jesus looks at him and he says, Simon Barjona, rather he's saying, Simon, son of Jonah, this is in Matthew 16, no longer will you be called Simon, but your name will be Peter, which in the Greek is Petros, which means rock. And on this rock, the foundation of your confession of me is Christ. I will build my church. We see, I don't know about you, but we see Simon the, the hothead, right? Simon the denier. Anybody know that story? We'll get to that a little bit more later. Simon the unstable. Simon the one that we can't depend on. But Jesus looks at him and he sees Peter, the one who's going to be the pastor of the New Testament church. He sees Peter the dependable. He sees Peter the rock. Let me say it like this. We look at our lives and we look at our circumstances and we look at our situations or we look at situations around us and we see failure, but the Lord looks at it and he sees the future. We look around uh, our lives, we look around our country and we look around uh, and we, our culture and we see problems, but God sees potential. Come on, listen, let me tell you something, and I, I, I put this on social media this week, but I firmly believe this, that the darker the night, the brighter the light. And I believe, and, and I think some of you know what I'm making reference to, I believe that the Lord is just beginning to break the dam that is holding back his presence and his spirit moving in our country, moving in our lives, and moving across our nation. And I believe we are just beginning to see the drips of his goodness that are coming through. You know, we can complain about the dark or we can light a candle. You know, we see the problems, but God is seeing potential. We look around and we see a mess. We say, oh, you know, this is a mess, or the country's a mess, or my life's a mess. But God looks at it, and he sees a miracle in the making. That's just how he sees. And in verse 15 of, of Romans chapter 8, God or Paul says of God that he has adopted us as our own children. So remember, how do we, number one, how do we live in rhythm of the Holy Spirit? We have to know who we are in Christ. Well, you are not condemned, right? Even though your thoughts condemn you sometimes, even though your mind condemns you, some, even though your actions may condemn you, the Lord looks at you and he calls you not as you are in the moment, but as he is making you to be. And he looks at you, Paul tells us, and he says, you are a child of God. You are adopted. I love what one pastor said. He said, this is beautiful. He said, because uh, adopted, when you have an adopted child, that's the one you picked, if you have a biological child, that's the one you got stuck with. <laughs> and I think somebody needs to hear this today. I know that my heart needs to hear it sometimes. The Lord did not get stuck with you. Come on, you need to hear this today. The Lord doesn't look at you and go, all right, well, I guess I'll make this work. Come on, but we, come, sometimes we walk in that, right? Sometimes we walk in that feeling of, God, you know, I'm, I suck and I'm awful and I'm terrible, but, you know, hopefully you can do something in my life or hopefully I've got something good. No, that is not how your Heavenly Father sees you. He picked you. He knew you before the foundations of the world were laid. You have existed in the heart of God since before time even began. He knew you, He knows you, and He loves you anyway. And that is a freeing and beautiful thought that there is a, come on, that there is a God in heaven who knows me and He loves me anyway. There is a God in heaven who knows me better than I know myself and if he was picking a kickball team he'd still pick me even though those fifth graders didn't my dad and I, I can say this he, I probably shouldn't say this but I'm going to say it because I've already started it my dad would say things like to me and, and, um, and I don't judge him for this he had his own issues he had his own struggles I think a lot of times we look back at parents and we think negatively about them but we forget where they came from themselves but he would look at me and he would say, son, I love you, but I sure don't like you. You know, that's hard to hear, right? But can I just tell you today, the Lord loves you and he also likes you. The Lord loves you and he also looks at you and he says, you're all right. 
hey, you got some stuff going on here, but hey, we're going to work that out. Yeah, get in. You might be hiding that wine press, but listen, after a few fleeces get wet or don't get wet, and you, if you know the story you know what I'm talking about, you're going to be filled with confidence and you're going to do what I need to do. Hey, Peter, yeah, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, right? But hey, listen, we're, there's going to be a moment on the beach where we're going to talk to one another and three times you're going to confess your love for me. And then you're going to receive my spirit. And, and I'm getting ahead of myself in my sermon. But, right? Because God doesn't look at you and call it like it is. God looks at you and calls it like he's making it to be. So if you want to walk in rhythm with the Holy Spirit, you have got to, you just need to settle it right now in your heart and in your mind who you are in Christ. And here's the deal. You will mess up. You're going to say something or do something, and you're going to go, oh, man, I messed up. And you know what you do in that moment? You don't start beating yourself up. You don't start tearing yourself down. You go to the throne room. You go to the cross, and you say, Jesus, I have sinned, and I thank you so much for the forgiveness that is mine because of what you've done, not because of what I've done, right? And in that moment, you receive that forgiveness, and you walk away from it. You don't bring it back up five minutes or five days or five years later. No, you walk in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you and you do not allow that sin, that condemnation, or that guilt to creep back into your mind to try to condemn you. Paul says it like this in Romans 8.31. This is one of my favorite verses. I say that a lot. I have a lot of favorite verses. He says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? I like how Eugene Peterson words this in the message translation. He says, with God on our side like this, how can we lose? I think in this room today, many of us just need to hear and to receive the truth that God is for you. He's for you. He, he's not looking for you to fail. Come on, is it, has anybody ever been like me and you feel like you're walking on eggshells, just, oh, I don't want to mess up, you know, I don't want to mess up, I don't want to do something, I don't want to say something, I don't want to, I don't, I don't act a certain way, and, and, then, and then we inevitably somehow stumble or somehow fall, and then that guilt, that condemnation, that, that self-loathing kicks into effect. Can I just tell you, that is not your father. That is not, he is for you. He is not setting you up to fail. He is not, he is not analyzing your life with a microscope so that when you fall or when you stumble or when you sin or when you, when you cuss or when you, when you think something you shouldn't think or when you do something that you shouldn't do so that he can, he can thump you with his heavenly hand, right? And say, ah, you get what? That is not our father. He is for you. He has picked you. He likes you. And to, and to quote, uh, never mind, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to quote, he thinks you're a pretty big deal. If you know that reference, you can keep it to yourself. And God looks at you and he thinks you're a pretty big deal. Now, you might would say, well, Pastor Drew, couldn't this lead to a place of arrogance? And I, I suppose it could. But I think where it would really lead, if we would embrace it fully, it, it would lead to a place not of increased self-confidence, but of increased God-confidence. Listen, my, my, my goodness, my, the things that I have to offer, the anointing, the calling, the, the equipping, they're, they're not a product of me being so good. They are a product of him being so good. And I think, and I'm, I think I'm right but I think possibly that the devil's greatest trick, his greatest hustle in keeping us out of rhythm with the Holy Spirit is not to try to get us to fall into some deep, dark sin, but to make us be believe, to convince us that we are anything less than we really are because of what Jesus has done for us. I think it's so easy for us to say things like, oh, you know, I didn't grow up in church. I don't really know the Bible that well. 
oh, you know, I've only, I've only been a Christian for a year, so I don't, I just, you know, I really, I really don't know the word. I really don't know what I'm supposed to do. You know, I, I've got this addiction that I've struggled with, and I just, it's, you know, I'm just not, I'm just not, and we say things like, I'm just not where I need to be. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm not, you know, I could be better. I could be doing better. But can I just tell you that the Holy Spirit would say to you, okay, can you just, can you stop trying to qualify or even disqualify yourself? And, and instead of taking identity in what the, the space between your ears says about you, how about we pull out the word of God and see what he has to say about the matter? Know your identity in Christ. You are a child of God. You were chosen. You were called. You were equipped. You were commissioned. You were gifted. You were skilled. Amen? I feel like I could just stop right now, right? Number two. I won't, though. I'm going to keep going. I'm not. Sorry. Number one, know who you are in Christ. Number two, submit to the Holy Spirit's control. Again, this is not revolutionary. It's simple. But it's incredibly important. You, it's, and it's, can I just say, I, don't, I think it becomes, I think it's impossible to submit to the Holy Spirit's control when you don't know who you are in Christ. Because when you walk in condemnation and when you walk in guilt, that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's not who you're listening to. So you can't, you can't submit to him because you're not, you're not in tune with his, with his voice. So you have to submit, you have to know who you are in Christ before you can submit to the Holy Spirit's control. Let me say this, the Holy Spirit will not boss his way into your life. The Holy Spirit will only go where he's invited. And as you begin your day in prayer, and this is very important, again, foundational, simple, but as you begin your day in prayer, as you begin your day in his word, as you begin your day in worship, ask him to lead you, to lead every thought that you have, to lead every action that you have, and understand that in your life, as tempting as it is to want to categorize your life between secular and sacred, right? Like, well, today I'm going to work, but Sunday I'm going to church. On, you know, Monday is my, my secular life, but on Sunday or Wednesday night, that is my sacred life. Can I just submit to you the idea that, that in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ, somebody who has been filled with the Spirit of God, there is no such thing as secular or sacred. There is only holy and set apart to the purposes of the Lord. Stay sensitive to His leading. Listen, there's going to be times that the Holy Spirit's going to lead you to do things that make no sense. So, sometimes you're going to have to choose the God things over the good things. And, that on, and you're only able to do that when you can hear his voice. And you can only really hear his voice when you, when you know his word and you know who you are in Christ. There will be times when you miss the mark as well. Can I just tell you, in my life, I have heard, uh, not audibly, but I have heard the, the voice of the Lord. I have heard the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I have not done it. And again, just as there is grace for when we fall short, there is grace for when we don't obey. There's grace for you. There will be times when you're scared, times when you're intimidated. I want to encourage you in those moments to trust in his goodness and trust in his love for you. Forgive me for telling this story for the 100th time, but I will never forget. It was at such a moment in my life where the Lord taught me something. But our oldest daughter, Olivia, who is now 10, was probably, I don't know, 18 months old or less. And we would always walk into Walmart. Uh, this is when we lived in another town. We would walk into Walmart to do our grocery shopping. And we would take an immediate left, and we would go by the deli, and we would pick up a thing of popcorn chicken. Anybody feel the Lord in that? And we would give that to her to eat while we walked around Walmart and shopped in peace because she was occupied with popcorn chicken. She was probably older than 18 months, wasn't she? Because she, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how old kids are. <laughs> Do any men know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know. Do they have teeth yet or not? I don't know. Um, she was a human at that time. She was alive. And so what would happen is we would get back to the van and, you know, one of the best things about vans is, you know, every square inch is covered with a cup holder. Amen. And so as we're loading the groceries and putting her back in the car, we would take the popcorn chicken and we'd pop it in a cup holder. And, and this happened one, on one occasion and, 
And, you know, you also tend to live out of vans. And we, that was our only vehicle at the time. We only had that one vehicle for a few years of our lives. And one day I'm putting Olivia in the car and in the van door cup holder is this little container of weak old popcorn chicken. Maybe older even. Been there, been there a while, if you know what I'm saying. Had a little color to it. Um, and Olivia sees this glorious container of sustenance, right? And what does she do? She sees something that she knows as good. She sees something that in the past we have given to her. And she begins to do what all babies do when they want what they can't have. She begins to scream, cry, point, and in her own way, cuss me out. Right? And in that moment, I have felt the Lord say, this is how you are so often in your life. You see something that you think is good, but I know more than you. And and there will be so many times that the Holy Spirit will be leading you into areas of your life. And you're going to look with your earthly eyes at the situation or at the circumstances. And you're going to either see something good or something bad. And the first inclination you're going to have is to go, oh, God, I'm not so sure about that. I look at that and I see this. Or I look at this and I see that. And you're going to feel that still small voice of the Holy Spirit saying, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, I know more than you. And guess what? I love you more than you even love you. I want good for you more than you even want good for you. And I want to work in you and work through you in ways like you can't imagine. So listen, I know what you see and I know what you think. But at some point, you have to say, I am going to live by what he says and not what I see. I'm going to live by by what he is speaking to me and not what the thoughts in my head are speaking to me. Because he knows something I don't know. Because he can see what I can't see. And he can understand what I can't understand. So in those moments when, when you're scared, when you're intimidated, when you're confused, I want to encourage you to trust that he is good. He is a good father. And he wants good gifts for his children. He wants good things for you. And how many of you are mature enough as adults to understand that sometimes good things come through strange avenues? Sometimes good things come through painful avenues as well, right? There will be times in your life you're going to ask, and listen, I've asked this, is this God or is this me? Can I, anybody in the house, like, am I hearing the Lord right now or is it, you know, that I just eat pizza too late? Right? So here, here, here's you. I'm not saying this is the be-all, end-all, but here's the questions to ask. Number one, does it honor the Lord? Does it honor the Lord? Listen, God's not going to tell you to cheat on your spouse. And I've been told that before, right? God told me to go sleep with this other woman who's not my wife. No, he did not. He did not do that. You're crazy, okay? That's not the Lord. God's not going to tell you to flip off a stranger in traffic. I don't care if they deserve it. He ain't going to tell you to do that kind of stuff. Because number two, does it honor the Lord, number one? But number two, does it show love to my neighbor? Does it show love to my neighbor? Oh, I'm just telling you what I think. I don't give a rip what you think. What's the Holy Spirit got to say? You know, if, if, if my thoughts are more important than his thoughts, then I am not living a spirit-led life. I'm living a Drew-led life. Does it honor the Lord? Does it love my neighbor? And if you can look at those questions, if you, can, if you can say, yes, this honors God, yes, this shows love to my neighbor, and yes, I have peace, and that's very important. Chances are it's the Lord. But here's the deal. Even if you are wrong, you guys okay? Even if you are wrong, you're still right. Does that make sense? Because if it honors God, if it loves your neighbor, and you're moving forward in peace, even if it wasn't the Lord, it was the Lord. I know, Lillian's like, I don't get that. (laughs) Because there's just some things in life you ain't got to pray about. 
I don't know, Pastor Drew, if I can, if I can serve. You know, we've been coming for a year, and we're not really working. We're not doing anything, but we live busy. I'll, I'll pray about serving. Can I just tell you, friend, you ain't got to pray about serving. You ain't got to pray about reading your Bible. You ain't got to pray about praying. There's just some things in life you ain't got to pray about. Uh, you know, I know you talked about tithing, but I'll just pray about it. <clears throat> you ain't got to pray about that. You just got to be obedient, right? Anyway, all right. Does it honor the Lord? Does it love my neighbor? And do you have peace? And the Holy Spirit will never lead you in an area that contradicts the word of God. Which is one reason why you need to get familiar with this book. All right, number three. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start trying to land this plane. Enjoy the gift of the Holy Spirit. I actually, put that back up there. I actually worded this a few different ways. Rest in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Enjoy the gift of the Holy Spirit. Use the gift of the Holy Spirit. Live in the gift of the Holy Spirit. So write any of those down that makes sense to you. But I like enjoy the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul spends, if you go and you read Romans 6, Paul spends Romans 6 explaining what God wants for us, kind of. And then he spends Romans 7 telling us why we can't have that. It's crazy. You should go read it. Romans 6, Paul's like, this is what God wants for everybody. Romans 7 is like, this is why you can't have it, because you are awful. <laughs> but, but credit to Paul, because Paul's like, so am I, right? That's, in Romans 7, that's where Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. Can I, I, I'm like, I read that, and I go... I feel that, Paul. <laughs> like, we read these stories about these men and these women, and we think, like, wow, you know, Paul the Apostle, you know, he was so amazing. And then he writes Romans 7. I'm like, Paul the Apostle was a real person. So he writes Romans 6 saying, this is all that God wants. This is, in Romans 7, this is why he can't have him. But then in Romans 8, he opens with, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So what he's, what he's showing us is that God has great and good things for you that in and of yourself you can't have them, but in Christ Jesus it is all yours, including the gift of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I have, I have ten thoughts, and I'll be fast, I promise-ish. When we rest or when we enjoy the gift of the Holy Spirit. Number one, Holy Spirit helps me say no to sin. Listen, if you were trying to do right or to live right and you were trying to do that in your strength alone, you are setting yourself up for failure and disappointment. You, 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 you're not strong enough. That's why Romans 7 is in the book of Romans where he says essentially like, you cannot do this. The things you want to do, you're not going to do that. I want to read my Bible. I want to pray. I want to be a good Christian. I want to, to do all. But then I don't do the things. And then the things I don't want to do, I don't want to lose my temper. I don't want to be addicted to this substance. I don't want to, to say these things or do these things. And then Paul says, those are the things I wind up doing. So, But then Romans 8 is the explanation of in the Spirit there is no condemnation. In the Spirit there is power. In the Spirit there is freedom to say no to sin and to live a life of righteousness and holiness. You see, we are not called, and, and I want to set this, I want you to understand this. We are not called to do good works because we need salvation. Jesus has already done that. Jesus finished that. It, when, he, when he said it is finished on the cross, that, it was done. It was done. There is no more salvation based on works. There is only salvation based on his grace, his goodness, and his gift, which is salvation. However, the fruit of salvation is a changed life that reflects the character and the holiness of God. And so, so we are not saved by good works but our salvation is shown by our good works and when you Paul says this in Galatians 5 he says so I say let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves 
When you, when you live in the fullness of what God has for you in the Holy Spirit, it becomes a lot easier to say no to sin and to say yes to what you know God is calling you to do and how God is calling you to live. You guys okay? The kids' house is getting it on, y'all. Number two, Holy Spirit gives me peace. Jesus says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Holy Spirit, anybody, anybody use a little extra peace in their life today? I know I could. Number three, Holy Spirit gives me direction. He says later in chapter 8 and verse 14, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Holy Spirit gives me direction. Any moms and dads in the room thinking, man, I need, I need help on raising my kids. I, I don't know that I'm doing. Listen, I want to encourage you to depend on the gift of the Holy Spirit to lead you, give you wisdom beyond your own, to help you in ways that you can't help yourself, right? To depend on his goodness, to depend on his love, to depend on his spirit, to raise those uh, boys and girls, to raise those babies, not just so that they can be happy and successful, but so that they can be holy and set apart for the purposes of God. Number four, the Holy Spirit reveals truth. Jesus calls Satan the father of lies, right? But here in, in verse 13 of chapter 16, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. The Holy Spirit imparts gifts. And I'm not talking about trampolines and, and dirt bikes, Okay. Oh, that'd be pretty cool. That'd be sweet. Can you imagine going to the altar and giving your life to Christ and going outside and there's like a, a car waiting for you? I feel the Lord in that. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the God it is the same God who does the work in all of us. Verse 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. That's so important. That's why spiritual gifts exist. I like to say it like this. Spiritual gifts exist for serving, not showboating. He says in verse 8, to one person the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. Or a word of wisdom. To another, the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages or speak in tongues. While another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Can I, just, can I just tell you right now, we need the Lord to move, not just in Lifehouse Church, but in all of our churches, to, to help us operate to a more fuller extent in the gifts, the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit. Number six, the Holy Spirit gives me power. Jesus tells his disciples in Acts chapter one, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power to do what? To be my witnesses telling people everywhere about me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Number seven, the Holy Spirit cultivates fruit. Fruit is different than the gifts, right? Fruit has to be cultivated. Paul says this in his letter to the church in Galatia. He says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things things. Now, here's something that would be really beneficial for us to grab onto concerning the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit does not grow through effort. If you've got an apple tree in your yard, that tree doesn't go, hmm, <laughs> right? And then apples pop out on the branches. <laughs> How you guys think I grew this mustache? Hmm. <laughs> Right, yeah. Fruit does not grow through effort. Fruit grows through connection. So let me say it like this. Holly's been praying. 
Sorry, Holly. You sat here. This is your fault. Holly's been praying that the Lord would help her grow in the fruit of the Spirit. She reads them, and she says, you know, God, today I want to be, I want to live in love. I want to live in joy. I want to live with peace. I want to live in patience. I want to live with kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then all throughout her day, she's checking herself, right? She's like, okay, am I being patient? Am I being kind? Now, I'm not saying that that's not a, a good practice to employ every so often, but let's just be real. That could get miserable real quick. Because that's not, that's not freedom. That's, that, that sounds more like slavery to me. That sounds a lot more like legalism than grace to me. But, but, but what happens is, as Holly begins her day in prayer, as she begins her day in worship, just standing in his presence in awe of who he is, as she begins her day in his word, and she doesn't just do it one day, but she does it every day. Come on, anybody in this room ever grown a garden before? Those things take work, right? You have to go out, you have to cultivate, you have to pull up weeds. Come on, you have, you have to till the soil, you have to plant seed, you have to water it, you have to fertilize it. It takes time. But listen, it's like one day you don't see anything. And then, and then the next day, you start to see a sprout, and you see a bud. Before you know it, you see a vine. Before you realize it, you, got a whole, you have a whole plant that's grown. And not only is the plant grown, but it is now producing fruit which, in abundance, right? And that is how it is with the, the fruit of the Spirit. As you stay connected to the one, as you stay in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, before you know it, you will start seeing in your life the evidences of the fruit. And it will not have come through effort. It will not have come through keeping a, a checklist and making sure you, you stayed patient today and making sure you were kind today. It will come because you have stayed faithful and as you stay faithful, he will make you fruitful. Yeah. Number eight, the Holy Spirit intercedes. The Holy Spirit helps us, Paul says later here in Romans 8. Told you Romans 8, it's a, it's a big deal, guys. Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, when we don't know what God wants us to pray. Anybody ever been there before? Yeah. Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. If you want to know more about this, come to my Bible study on Wednesday night. Number nine, Holy Spirit gives hope. Anybody need some hope today? Man doesn't have hope to offer me. The media, Lord knows, ain't got no hope to offer me, right? But can I tell you, money ain't got no hope to offer me either. That's where a lot of us think the, that we have hope, security comes from. Paul says this in Romans 15, 13. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's got hope for you today. And number 10, and I'm, I'm shutting this thing down. Holy Spirit, when I rest in him, when I enjoy him, when I stay connected to him, will use me to point others towards Jesus. And ultimately, that is the end game, right? That is the goal. That my life, the point of me would be to point to him. And we, we see the, the transition in someone like Peter, who we talked about earlier, who on the night that Jesus was betrayed and was going to be crucified, denied him three times before morning came, right? Fifty days later, after the infilling of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and he doesn't deny Christ, but he proclaims Christ. And 3,000 people that day come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And just like that, in a moment, because one man filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, speaks words that were inspired by the Spirit. One man, the church grows from 120 people to over 3,000 in an afternoon. Because one man was in rhythm with the Holy Spirit. And that was just in one day. What can God do in your life if you if me if we 
will live in rhythm if we will live a spirit-led life. Listen, you don't need a theology degree. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be a spiritual giant. You just have to be a man or woman who says and decides today and every single day, I will live in rhythm. I will live a spirit-led life. That's all it takes. There's no magic formula. It's just, God, here I am. I want to be connected to you. I want to be filled with your spirit. I want to tell you a story. I was 18 years old. I had just graduated high school. I had been a Christian for about three years. But my pastor had moved away to another state. He had become like a father to me. And through circumstances beyond his control, he wasn't able to come to my high school graduation. And as a teenager, that absolutely devastated me. I felt alone, I felt scared, I felt abandoned. And I made up my mind, even after becoming a Christian, even after having preached multiple sermons, even after having received the gift of the Holy Spirit, I made up my mind at 18 years old in the summer of 2003 that I would no longer follow Jesus. That I would go back to my old ways of living. And so I get a job hanging sheetrock for this guy as I'm waiting for another job. Yeah, I don't, that was not my favorite job. I had a buddy who was going to get me a job working on an oil rig offshore, off out of Louisiana. He told me you can make several thousand dollars a month, right? And so that became like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy my time. I'm going to make some money. I'm going to put some money in the bank. I'm going to buy me a new truck. I'm going to get me a girl, and I'm just going to live life. I'm just, I'm done. I'm done with church. I'm done with God. I'm done with all this. It's, it, I'm just, you know, I don't got nobody but me, so I'm just going to take care of me. That was my mentality. Well, one night, I have a friend preaching at another church several miles away from my home, and I I, he invites me to come. And against my better judgment at that moment, I decide to go because he was a friend and I wanted to be a, a good friend to him. So I show up in the middle of the message. I decide, you know what? I'm so sick and tired of this fake church crap. That's what I thought. I'm just tired of it. I don't believe it. It's dumb. It's stupid. I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't have time for this. I get up and I walk out to my car. I'm done. I made up my mind as I got up to leave that church service. I'd never walk back in church again. As I'm opening the door to my car to leave, an older gentleman comes up behind me. I mean, church's still going on. He comes up behind me, puts his hand on my shoulder, and I turn around. He says, Drew, I have a word from God for you. You guys know the terminology, read your mail? Anybody know what that means? If you don't, just hang out long enough. You'll figure it out. This man begins to read my mail. What it means is that he begins to tell me things that I've thought, things that I've said, things that I've done. But there ain't no way he should know these things. And he doesn't do it in an accusatory way. He does it from a place of love and compassion. And he grabs my hand and he looks me square in the face and he says, Drew, I know you have turned your back on God, but he will never turn his back on you. And that night, in the middle of the church parking lot of the church that I had just walked out of, I prayed a prayer of recommitment as I gave my life back over to Jesus. The next day, I enroll in community college so that I can get a year of college and then transfer to Lee University where I would attain a pastoral ministry degree, meet my future wife, and then through as many other little avenues of life, wind up in this moment here today. It took about 10 minutes out of his night. To be honest with you, he may not even remember it happening. But because he decided 
to live a spirit-led life and to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit in his life. To do something, listen, you ever done that before? Follow somebody out, get up in their face and start saying things that you don't know, but the Lord is revealing them to you? It's not just important that you live a spirit-led life for yourself. It's important that you live a spirit-led life because 10 minutes out of your day might change somebody else's entire life. Let's stand this morning. I want to invite our altar team to come forward. desire this morning, if your prayer, if your hope is to live in rhythm with the Holy Spirit of God, to be filled with His Spirit, and to live a Spirit-filled life. And if that's your prayer, if that's your hope, I want to invite you to come to our altar right now. Find one of our altar team members. Allow them to pray, pray with you in faith that you would receive everything that God has for you and that you would walk out of this place in confidence knowing that you are living in rhythm and in the fullness of the Holy Spirit.